So let's pray, and then we'll look unto God's word this morning. So Jesus, we do, we do believe in your Holy Spirit. And uh, saying that also means we believe there's a world we can't see that exists this moment in this room, and that because of your Holy Spirit inside of those of us who open our hearts to you, that we live in both worlds. We, we live and listen to the Holy Spirit, and we, we want to be the people who does what he tells us to do. But we also know the Holy Spirit gives us insight, helps us understand your word. So this morning, God, as we look into your word, pray the Holy Spirit would open our eyes, open our ears, open my eyes, open my ears. We want to see and hear what you're saying, and then we want to be the kind of people that you're uh, leading us to be. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. So years ago, you may have heard this, the big be like Mike. It was a big, uh, it used to be commercials, but Michael Jordan. Everybody, everybody wants to be like Mike in those days, and even now still. My wife and I just watched the uh, story about Michael Jordan, Air Jordan shoes, which make two or three billion dollars a year still. So everybody wanted to wear his shoes, the Michael Jordan, Air Jordans. Um, everybody wanted to wear his number. His number was 23, but he changed to 45, and then it came back to 23. But everybody wants to be like Mike. They want to be like, they wear his shoes, they wear his number. Some even will roll their tongue out like he used to do when he'd do a slam dunk or whatever. But this whole idea of being like Mike was, was and still is, kind of a cultural obsession. We want to be like him because we want to, we want to experience what he experienced, which is greatness and, in his case, great wealth, et cetera, et cetera. All right? So... Taking that be like Mike, but on the, today where I'm going to talk about another, another person I want us to think about trying to be like, and maybe in greater ways. So today I'm going to challenge you to this, be like Stephen. Be like Stephen, all right? You have on your, Stephen's in the Bible, you have on your chairs, most of you have a picture uh, of this, it's a Rembrandt painting. Some of you have a coloring book painting, coloring book thing, so whichever one, maybe that's what God wants you to look at. Um, but this is a Rembrandt painting of Stephen. The apostle, or is a deacon actually in the book of Acts. We're going to look at his life today. And this is a painting of him uh, getting stoned. All right? And even in this children's, children's picture, when I found this, I had this originally because last week I was going to do this sermon. We're going to have, and kids were going to be here. And I thought, is it okay to have kids color a picture of a guy getting stoned? But I thought, well, they, they make them. And I thought, it is, it is part of the Bible story. So either way you look at it, it's, it's, it's a little, and you're like, wait a minute, you want us to be like this guy. And what's interesting in, in Rembrandt's painting, I can't remember where it is exactly now, but you can look it up online. Somewhere in the painting, Rembrandt has his own face as one of the people who was, you know, attacking Stephen in this case. So um, anyway, I just, some, sometimes artwork can say things to us, but uh, if you want one of these, the, the coloring things, grab one and get your colored pencils at home and color it in or whatever. I don't, you know. But even like I said, it's just I thought about a coloring book where we show a violent part of Scripture. So Stephen is the topic of the day, being like Stephen, which I think all of us want to be like Stephen, but most of us don't want to be like Stephen in terms of how he had become that way. So I've been doing a series called um, This is Who We Are. If you were here a few weeks ago, I told you I started with the series just calling it something like the people of Pentecost, but then it made it sound like we were studying a, a history lesson like the people of the revolution. 
But the people of Pentecost, to the book of Acts, that's us. We are them. We are people with the Holy Spirit. So that's why I renamed the series. This is who we are. So it's not just, wow, look at cool what Peter did and what, what Stephen did, and we're going to look at Philip and the people. And we're not just going to look at that and think, what a great history our church has. Because the book of Acts is about what ordinary people like us can do with the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us. So this is who we are. So that's why I'm challenging me and you uh, to be like Stephen. All right, so this is, this is uh, Acts chapter, let's leave this slide up right now. Acts chapter 6 and 7, so let me just give you the context of what's going on. So Pentecost happened. Um, Holy Spirit did incredible supernatural things, flames, fire, and all of a sudden those men and women who were gathered together became filled with the Holy Spirit, the Bible tells us. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. And ordinary people like us became supernaturally empowered like we can be. And then we read uh, a few chapters later, Peter did this incredible sermon. He wasn't even an orator, but he goes, you know. And then Peter and John are walking to the temple one day for the regular prayer service. Notice a man who's lame, who they probably saw many times before. And Peter says to him, I don't have any money, but I'm going to give you this. In the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. And he stands up, dances, healed. So all of a sudden, things, things are changing because the Spirit of God is working through people. Uh, Peter, or John, Peter and John get arrested. They get threatened because, again, the culture, our culture doesn't mind if we do good deeds. They don't want us to do it in the name of Jesus because that, that implicates things they don't want to be implicated. So we are followers of Jesus. We aren't just religious people who do good things. And in this case, what they did, and they over and over, Peter and John and the disciples over and over kept saying, no, it's, we do it in the name of Jesus. They were threatened. Even a few weeks ago, the disciples were all kind of arrested and threatened again. And if you remember from that, which maybe you don't, at the, well, they were threatened again, don't preach in this guy's name. Don't preach in this. So they were flogged. And they weren't just let go. Before they were let go, they were flogged. And this, that's where this is who we are becomes like, I don't want to be that. They were flogged, but they left rejoicing. And they were found worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. And that's one of those passages where you think, okay, were they faking this joy? I can't imagine they were. They left rejoicing. They were worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. All right, so that's, these things are starting to happen because this is X, what, maybe two, three, four months, we don't know exactly, after Jesus' resurrection, the people who put him on trial and arrested him who were so angry are still around, and the early church even prayed in Acts 4, they prayed for great boldness in the midst of these threats. So I'm just, that's the, that's the sense of what's happening, that's the culture at that time, there was, there was great opposition there was great power of the Holy Spirit, but yet the church still prays for great boldness. So that's what's going on. So chapter 6 of Acts starts with the disciples. And it almost seems a little bit like just details, but it's not. The disciples realize, okay, there's this argument because there's Greek Christians and there's Jewish Christians and the widows. There's widows that are Greek, widows are Jewish. Uh, the, the Greek widows and the Christians are saying, our widows aren't getting taken care of with food like the Jewish widows. And it's not, it's not, something's not happening fair. 
Those things happen in churches so the disciples decide, okay, we're going to appoint six or seven men as deacons to take care of this program. You know, they, they can fill, they can feed the women, they can take care of these widows equally without kind of bias or things like that. And so uh, they still said, choose seven men who are well-respected, let them do that, all right? So I'm going to start reading in Acts chapter 6, verse 8, because Stephen, there's a list of seven men that were chosen as these men who were full of the Holy Spirit, all right? Full of the Holy Spirit. They weren't just smart people that were, had skills. They were people who had skills who were full of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes in churches, people are, just my experience, people are put in leadership because they, they lead well in their worldly business, but they may not be full of the Spirit. So they're saying, no, appoint people who are gifted and full of the Spirit. So they list seven of them. Uh, Stephen's one of the seven. Philip is one of the seven. We'll talk about Philip in a couple weeks. Other than that, we don't hear from the other guys ever again. But So this is Acts chapter 6, starting with verse 8. And it's about Stephen, who was one of the ones who was chosen, all right, to be one of these people administrating this food program. But he was more than just that, all right? This is Acts chapter 6, verse 8. Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power. And I put that on the screen to start with because... Right away, he's described in a very unique way. He's full of God's grace and power. Later on in the same chapter, he's called somebody who's full of faith in the Holy Spirit. So I think about that, and I think, okay, wouldn't it be a a desire of ours for somebody to say, Bill Downey, he's a man full of God's grace and power and full of faith in the Holy Spirit, or... Rachel March, she's a woman who's full of God's grace and power, full of faith in the Holy Spirit. I mean, we all want that to be true about us, but it was true about Stephen, but that's who we are, so we can be that way. Where it's not like, oh, I can never, no, that's who we are. We, like Stephen, can be full of God's grace and power. I'll finish the passage. He performed many amazing miracles and signs among the people. But one day, some men from the synagogue of the freed slaves, so they were Jewish, was also called, started a debate with him. There were Jews from Cyrene, Alexandria, Sicilia, province of Asia, all outside of Israel. None of them could stand against the wisdom and the spirit which Stephen spoke, obviously talking about Jesus. So they persuaded some men to lie about Stephen, saying, We heard him blaspheme Moses and even God. This roused the people and elders, the teachers of religious law. So they arrested Stephen and brought him before the high council. The lying witnesses said, again, back to something I've talked about before, this, people call it Ignatian imagination, but I want you to kind of see the scene here and maybe even put yourself in there as a member of this high council and Stephen's been arrested. And these lying witnesses, verse 13 says, this man is always speaking against the holy temple and against the law of Moses. We have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy the temple and change the customs Moses handed down to us. Some of the versions of the word custom is traditions. And you will find in your life, and I find in my life, and we find in the lives of churches, the greatest obstacle to the work of the Holy Spirit is we hold on to traditions. Not, not biblical teaching, but traditions. Well, that's how our church does it. That's how I've always done it. So and this is a real good illustration of the fact that it's, 
They're saying, no, he's talking against our customs and our traditions. You know, he's, this is kind of simplistic. He says we don't have, we can't use a pipe organ anymore. I don't know what traditions people, there's all kinds of traditions and customs churches have. Or you have even spiritually. You're like, why, well, this is not me. We've heard him say that Jesus of Nazareth will destroy the temple and change the customs Moses handed down to us. At this point, verse 15, everyone in the high council stared at Stephen because his face became as bright as an angel's. It's interesting. Something about Stephen is actually changing physically. He's full of grace and power and full of the Holy Spirit. But So Stephen's over here on trial or wherever, and the high council is there, and there's obviously tension in the air because these council people, they have the power to inflict pain. They flog, those kind of things. So if you're there, and if, say, let's say we're all friends of Stephen's, we're a bit concerned. All right. So, Acts chapter 7 then, because the story of seven is continue, Stephen continues in 7. Then the high priest asked Stephen, are these accusations true? These accusations are you're, you're speaking against the temple, traditions, you're blaspheming, which is basically you're, you're going against the norms we have for our religion. All right, so anytime even what you or I do or say in the name of Jesus that goes against the norm of what Americans think religion should be, it's, it's kind of, it is offensive. So the, he says, are these accusations true? And what's interesting then, and I'm not, I'm not going to read all of chapter 7 because Stephen simply replies this, brothers and fathers, listen to me. And then he goes into, I don't know, I didn't time it. If I were to read the whole passage, it might take me 10 minutes. He goes into a 10-minute history lesson of the Jewish people. And, and he's speaking to Jewish people. He starts off by saying, our, our glorious God appeared to our ancestor Abraham in Mesopotamia before he settled on Haran. So he starts with Abraham. These are all Jewish people, so they know this. I kind of wonder what they were thinking. He talks about Abraham. The God appeared to him and promised things to him. Then he talks about Isaac, son of Abraham, and how God's promise was continued through Isaac. Then he talks about Isaac and Jacob, Jacob's son, Isaac's son Jacob, and how God's promise was still through them. And that, that Jacob had 12 sons, and that God was going to be promising, continue his promise to Abraham, that he was going to bless him and bless the nation through, through these 12 sons. And then he even tells a story about the famine. So the 12 sons of Abraham, the Jewish, the, the Jewish tribe at that point, which was 75 people, because of the famine, decided to go. They heard there was food in Egypt. They go to Egypt to get grain. Who's in charge in Egypt? It's Joseph, the son that the other sons had betrayed and thought he was dead, but now he's some, because of God's work, Joseph had risen to power. So he's telling this whole story again. They went to there to get grain, all 75 of them. They stayed there. They became large in number. The next Egyptian uh, king, the pharaoh, didn't, didn't know all the history, and he just wanted to, so he enslaved all these people. So he's telling this whole story. Abraham, Isaac, he's telling the story to people who should know the story. They enslaved them. They were slaves. Then he talks about Moses. God raised Moses up to deliver them. Moses, deliver, they, Moses leads them through all kinds of trauma and, and, and uh, 
plagues. And they go back, and, they, and then he talks about them. And then, then when they were in the wilderness, they kind of rebelled against God. Because they were impatient, even though God had done all, this, all these things so far God had done in their lives, especially the, the releasing them from Egypt, and they rebel against God. They build the calf in the desert. They start worshiping. They rebel against God. So that's, Stephen's highlighting that. Look at all these things God has done, and they're rebelling against God. Then he talks about Moses. They finally got to the promised land. He talks about King David later on. And then, then King Solomon built this temple. So he's telling them, which they already know, especially the high council guys, they might know those Old Testament passages from memory, but he's reminding them of their history of how God was going to fulfill a promise he made to Abraham. And he also tells them about the rebellion in the wilderness. He reminds them of that. They knew that. There wasn't anything like, oh, we didn't know. They knew that. So he goes on, like I said, mine's front and back of a page in 12-point font. He goes on and on and on and says, telling the story. And then he stops at one point and he says, you, again, he's talking to these people, the, the council people, and probably crowds of people listening. And then he looks at the council and he says, you stubborn people. You are heathen at heart and deaf to the truth. And then here's this line, must you forever resist the Holy Spirit? Must you forever resist the Holy Spirit? That's what your ancestors did and so do you. So he's saying, that's what your ancestors did. All this things that God did fulfilling his promise. And your ancestors, Stephen's ancestors too, resisted the Holy Spirit didn't trust God anymore, built idols, gave themselves to other, other gods except the true God. Must you forever resist the Holy Spirit? That's what your ancestors did, and so do you. Name one prophet your ancestors didn't persecute. They even killed the ones who predicted the coming of the righteous one, the Messiah, whom you betrayed, whom you betrayed, very, very direct to these council members, and murdered. You deliberately disobeyed God's law, even though you received it from the hands of angels. Just in this statement here, this must you forever resist the Holy Spirit. Just like, this was like two or three weeks ago with Ananias and Sapphira. Peter said to them, why have you lied to the Holy Spirit? And my challenge to all of us that day was, don't ever lie to the Holy Spirit. But I'll say, don't resist the Holy Spirit. And you might say, I don't know what that looks like. Well, think of a time maybe you sense God telling you to do something, and for whatever reason you didn't. Or God telling you to stop doing something, and for whatever reason you didn't. It's resisting the Holy Spirit. It's kind of this sense of, I got this, God. Um, I can make my life work. But So he's telling these religious leaders who probably could quote most of the Old Testament, you're resisting the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit's pretty powerful, but he's also pretty jealous in a really good kind of way. He doesn't want to be lied to, and he doesn't want to be resisted. And just like they resisted Jesus, the challenge for us today maybe is we can resist the Holy Spirit. And we resist Jesus. We resist him. Because we don't want to do this, that, we don't, whatever. So he makes this big accusation. You guys, 
I mean, sounds like name-calling. Stubborn people, heathen. So, of course, verse 54, the Jewish leaders were infuriated by Stephen's accusation. And they shook their fists in rage at him. So you can imagine the, the bedlam taking place. Now, let me stop for a second. You may not remember, but a handful of chapters before, the church had gathered after they were threatened and Peter and John were let out of prison. And they prayed, they said, give your servants great boldness in speaking your word about Jesus. They asked for great boldness. Stephen is an answer to that prayer at this point. Great boldness. Somebody, some, some of us might say, and sometimes when I read this passage, I'm just like, well, he could have softened it a little bit, you know, kind of warm up a little. No, he's like, no, you, you, you're very clear. You're resisting the Holy Spirit. Um, killed the righteous one, the Messiah. And he's bold. So, Sometimes boldness might require me or you to speak really clear to someone about something. Not in a harsh way, not in a uh, mean-spirited way, but in a clear way about Jesus, about what he's come to do, about the fact that he says he's the only way to know God. So sometimes, uh, I guess I'll just say this, don't misunderstand biblical boldness for socially improper because sometimes biblical boldness means we say what the Bible says. Not, not with anger, not with uh, condemnation, but with clarity. So they're infuriated, they're shaking their fists in rage, so you can imagine the volume of what's happening. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven. Saw the glory of God. And he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And he told them, look. And again, this, Stephen's getting a, a vision, supernatural, but not unlike anything we could experience if God would have put us in those situations. Look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. Now, the part of the passage here with this, when he sees Jesus standing in his in his vision and he says I see Jesus standing Jesus standing is a symbol of Jesus welcoming Stephen it's an honor position so he's saying things about Jesus one they don't want Jesus the the religious teachers don't want Jesus in there at all they killed him but he's saying I see the father and I see Jesus at his right hand and he's standing verse 57 then they put their hands over their ears and begin shouting Sounds like, you know, kindergartners. Nah, 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 nah. Or maybe you do that in your marriage. I, I don't think I do, but maybe I do. I don't know. I'm not listening. I'm not listening. But they said so they put their, we're not going to listen to this. These are mature, educated men, the council. Probably there were women around there too. Mature, educated, but incredibly angry because what Stephen said, they were resisting the Holy Spirit. And they're literally putting their hands over their ears and it says they rushed at him. So they're so angry, they're going after him. I mean, you, maybe you've been angry enough to go after something, a person, a dog or whatever, but just, just imagine the level of anger 
these council members were feeling that got them to get up out of their seats in their fancy robes and hats and whatever else, put their hands over their ears, shouting, and then chasing him. Obviously, Stephen wasn't running because he knew he was caught, so to speak. And they dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. His accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. So again, I'm not saying we should want or invite or manufacture situations where non-Christians or the culture is mad at us. But if they are upset and mad at us because we talk about Jesus, then we need to be okay going down that road. But don't, I mean, even Paul says later on in, the, in his Gospels, if you're getting persecuted because you're just being a jerk, I'm, I'm paraphrasing Paul, that's your problem. If you're getting persecuted because of the name of Jesus, then Jesus will walk through you, walk with you through that. So there's this, you know, obviously in the... Look at the picture here again, whichever picture you have, the picture or the coloring book picture, because both of them you see these angry faces. Now, what's interesting is the people here always have like everyday garb on, but these are religious leaders, so they would have their religious outfits on. Unless they took their coats off, I guess, and laid them at Saul's feet, but these were dignified people. And they are so, so angry at what Stephen's saying about Jesus that they are picking up stones off the ground and throwing them at this guy to kill him. That, just imagine that level of rage. And this is the part where I'm going to encourage you and me uh, to be like Stephen. As they stoned him, so who knows how many times he'd been hit by this point. He was, if he was bleeding, probably was. He prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. What does that remind you of? When Jesus is on the cross, into your hands I commit my spirit. So Stephen might have been either at the cross or he was very well informed about what happened and what Jesus said. He fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. Who does that? Who can forgive somebody in the midst of being hurt? You might hear people, or maybe you're this way, well, I can't forgive them now. Well, how long ago did this happen? Oh, five years ago. I'm not ready to forgive them. Or two days ago. Or maybe it's even like five minutes ago. My wife said something hard to me, and I can't forgive her yet. How do you become the kind of person that can forgive in the midst of, and it's still not finished, the pain and the wounds. Don't hold this charge against them. It's like, who does that? How do you become that kind of person? I mean, you might think, bring up in your mind right now somebody that either was hard for you to forgive or still is. Just all that's the Holy, Holy Spirit bring to mind a picture of somebody that we think we shouldn't forgive, don't have to forgive. And it might even might be a Christian, it might be a total pagan. And can you pray this prayer over them? Lord, don't charge them with the sin that deeply hurt me. Don't, don't, don't hold it against them. What does that remind you of? The cross. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I mean, Stephen's being like Jesus. 
in, in a really tense, tense is an understatement. He's dying. He's being killed. He's being murdered. Don't charge them with this sin. In your hand, I give you my spirit. I commit my spirit to you, just like Jesus said on the cross. But now he says, don't, don't. And he's shouting it. So the guys who were throwing stones at him heard him say this. Saul heard him say this. Saul, who later becomes Paul, was standing there. They said his, they were putting in his coats. He was the coat guy for some reason. But he heard this. Who knows that maybe that was part of, maybe that planted a seed that culminated in Jesus appearing to Saul on the road where he left his life of religious legalism behind and became one of the greatest followers of Jesus. I don't know. Lord, don't charge them with this sin. Uh, do this for a second. Close your eyes. I want you to think of somebody that's hard for you to forgive. Even if somebody you don't know personally, maybe it's a politician, maybe it's, p- p- politician. Maybe it's a, somebody you don't even know, but you're just really, really, really angry at them, and you want God to charge them with sin. All right? So put that, get that person's face. Maybe, it's a, maybe it is a personal thing, but maybe it's just a, I can't stand this person I see in the new whatever. And I want you, I'm going to say one, two, three, and I want all of us to say out loud, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And you know who you're talking about. We don't need to know that, all right? And if you need to look at the screen to read the verse, that's, but it's Lord, don't charge them with this sin. So put that person in your mind, and you're, you're saying this to God about this person. And here we go, one, two, three, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. Even that, for all, for, maybe for many of us, it's hard to say that. We, we, we want to know you're going to take vengeance on them. And vengeance is yours, God. We know that. But yet there's a, there's a grace and a mercy and a power to Stephen's words here that every one of us, uh, we want to be that way. We want to have that kind of mercy and power and grace. We want to have that kind of filling of the Holy Spirit. That we can be uh, forgiving, not out of denial or out of a shallow kind of spirituality, but we can be forgiving out of the depths of the grace of you inside of us and your power of the Holy Spirit inside of us. Stephen was a man full of grace and power and full of the Holy Spirit. We want to be those kind of people. So Jesus, I pray... Not only for the sake of forgiveness, but even in times when we have a chance to speak up for you, Jesus, like Stephen did. And he was accused about, he was accused with lies, but at the same time, he didn't let it shut, let it shut him down. So Jesus, I pray for each one of us here this morning that boldness and forgiveness would both grow deep inside of us from your Holy Spirit. Those two things often feel like they're almost contradictory. Like a forgiving person is supposed to be soft. But no, a forgiving person can also be bold, and a bold person can be merciful and forgiving. We want to be those kind of people. And just like I've titled this series, God, this is who we are. This is who you've designed. Whether it's 
You designed Sadie Van Roller to be this way. You designed, designed Jeff Mart to be this way. You designed Eugene to be this way. You designed Kara Calvin to be this way. You designed us all with your Holy Spirit in us to be these kind of people. And these kind of people change families, change communities, change the world. And like I said when we were talking about the disciples getting whipped, God, we, we would rather that part of the sandwich be taken off. Just like we don't want stoning. We want that taken off. But we don't, we don't understand how you work, but we know that persecution and difficulty and pain and suffering is a part of also power and peace and forgiveness. So we want to be those kind of people on your terms, God, not on ours, because uh, we love you. And we want to be like Jesus, and we want to, uh, we want to impact our world because we don't just... We don't just wear the shoes that Stephen wears or wear his number like Michael Jordan, but we, but we wear his spirit, which is your spirit, inside of us because it in, is inside of us. We want to be those kind of people. We love you. Give us that kind of courage, boldness, and spirit of forgiveness. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.